Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to Rob Vanstone in Regina as we begin Labor Day week ahead of Sunday's big game. And then Travis Fredberg, Selkirk's own, made the cut at the Manitoba Open, applying his trade on the PGA Tour Canada. We'll talk to him about all that on the podcast. It is Labor Day week. So we're going to be doing lots of talking about the Bombers and Riders this week and listening to the Bombers and Riders, and that starts tonight. We head to Regina, talk to friend of the show, Rob Vanstone, the senior journalist of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. First of all, Rob, you've been covering this team for a while. You've been going to games for a long time. What comes to mind when you think about the Labor Day Classic and this rivalry? Well, even just watching it for a long time. I mean, I was 11 years old when I went to my, when I began my streak of Labor Day weekend games. Um, I that was 19, uh, 1975, and the Riders beat the Bombers 27-23 on a touchdown pass from Ron Lancaster to Steve Mazurk with just over a minute left. I now work with Steve's son, Nick, so that's kind of cool. Uh, the first Labor Day game that I remember was the Riders beat Edmonton 28-27 in 1973. Eskimos missed a, now Elks missed a late field goal attempt, and uh, that's when I remember. So it just, it just brings back so much in terms of having watched the games as a fan, uh, as a newspaper person and now as an employee of the team, it's it's uh, it's kind of I've kind of touched every base to use a baseball analogy and in, in watching this team, there's just a real feeling of comfort about uh, this game as it approaches. What's the energy? I haven't been to one. I've I've been to the the Bandra Bowl the last number of years. I've actually never been to a a game in Regina, but I will someday. Just not this year. What is the energy like in the building, and how is it different from most weeks? It feels like a playoff game in September. It's just they're they're even in, in seasons where perhaps one of the teams has a distinct edge over the other in uh, in record wise. Uh, it still has that vibe to it. There's it's like there's bragging rights for that weekend, regardless of what leads up to it. And there's also I think the air of the unexpected uh, because you've just seen the strangest, most surprising games or plays uh, on Labor Day weekend. There always seems to be something about a game that makes it distinctive it's it's hard to figure but it always seems to happen there's always something to take away from one of those games so i think you know that you're no going and you're not quite sure what it is but there's going to be something to talk about that that you'll probably be talking about 10 years from now they just there's always something even if the game is not spectacular there's always something to extract from it and and uh it just doesn't have the same feeling in August or October a lot of the time. Even even as you get closer to the playoffs, it just seems this this game really just captures everybody. And as far as the standings are concerned, it isn't always relevant. Some years one team is up and the other team is down, and, and it doesn't always matter. We saw the Riders from 05 to 2015 win every game, even though sometimes the Bombers were, were doing better. But lately the Bombers have won the last two. They're 3-3. Three and three in the last six with most of those being pretty close games going into this week's matchup, the riders come in at five and five, the bombers, the obvious favorites going into this one at, at nine and two. But how do you feel this matchup looks going into Sunday? I'm really intrigued with it because the rough riders are coming off a really strong outing. I think they're best of the year against BC and BC came in here at, at seven and two and the rough riders really, they played such an inspired physical game. And, uh, and now with Winnipeg coming up, I think there's just automatically that, that buzz and that vibe leading up to it. So coming off a big win, the Bombers being, well, the Bombers, not only a traditional rival, but, but the team that's, that's been uh, at the top of the heap in terms of record-wise, back, dating back to 2019, 
there's just there's so much about the game itself. Where this game, I think, to be played in July or October, what have you, August, I still think there would be a huge buildup to it because of the intrigue. Then you add on that it's it's a Labor Day weekend game, and it just it just gets that much cooler. I just think the, I think the uh, I really love the matchup. Uh, the Rough Riders defense has been playing really well, and of course, Winnipeg's offense is always tremendous. So I, that that really intrigues me. The Rough Riders have uh, Jake Dolagala at quarterback, about to make his third consecutive start. The Bombers, of course, have Zach Caleros, a quarterback more established. But you know, we've seen on Labor Day weekend uh, games where the uh, the quarterback with the shorter resume can have the longer gains to his credit. So. Uh, you just, I just don't know what to expect. I just know I, I know uh, I know it's going to be a good game, and it's one I'm really looking forward to. Always a good one to to go and watch for sure. These two teams have met already. This isn't always the case. Some for for many seasons, their two meetings are Labor Day, Banjo Bowl, and that's it. Unless they meet in the playoffs, but they already have the Week Two matchup this year that the Blue Bombers won 45-27. Trevor Harris was the quarterback of that one, though. So. How much does that game still hold in terms of getting ready for this weekend's game and informing us of what it might look like? Well, I think the Rough Riders, who had really struggled to move the ball against Winnipeg the last couple of years, uh, you know, Trevor Harris then throws for 400 plus yards. Granted, Trevor isn't playing on Sunday, but I think what was shown when the Bombers were here June 16th is that it that there is the potential and the capacity to move the ball against Winnipeg, which had been a real struggle. So. Uh, and then with Trevor out of the lineup, obviously there's the concerns, but Jake Dolagala throwing three touchdown passes uh, in the Rough Riders' previous game against BC and really demonstrating the type of arm talent that, that he's been so renowned for ever since he came into the league. So uh, I think the, the fact that the Rough Riders have shown that Winnipeg is not invincible on defense earlier in the year, I think that does, that has to give them a, a foundation to build upon. What has to change is that, is that there has to be a, a much better defensive performance than there was last time against Winnipeg. But the defense over the course of the season, for the most part, has uh, been a strong suit for the Rough Riders. So maybe that uh, that June 16th game was an aberration for the defense. Well, let's talk about Jake Dolagala because he's going to be the guy under duress from this Blue Bomber defensive front that has looked, I think, better than it did in the second week of the season against Saskatchewan. What did we learn from Dolagala in that win over BC? Because for me watching it, it looked like BC did a lot to shoot themselves in the foot. And also Samuel Emelis made some unbelievable catches. Oh, did he ever. Just, uh, it's a really good discussion. If you're looking at, you know, talking about who the best Canadian receiver in the league is right now, you know, Samuel Emelis and Nick Dembski. Okay. Discuss. It's a really good argument. Um, Jake Dolagala has a rocket for a throwing arm. And the thing he demonstrated against BC is that, is that there isn't an area on the field that he can't access with that arm. And uh, the, the, he hit some really tight windows uh, against the Lions, uh, one for a touchdown to Kean Schaefer-Baker. I think the, the middle of the field uh, was more of a factor for the Rough Riders offense than it has been, and I think it helps that Jake Dolagal is six foot seven. There aren't many people in the Canadian Football League who can look uh, Willie Jefferson in the eye. <laughs> and he's... He can certainly do that, and if you have to see or throw over Willie Jefferson, it sure is nice to be six foot seven. How did the feeling in Regina change after they beat BC? Well, it was a real reversal of, of mindset. I think within the within the within the team here, uh, I don't think it, the the mindset necessarily paralleled that which was 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 discernible elsewhere. I mean, this 
the team lost four or five games and four of five games and, and the fans as passionate as they are certainly made their disappointment known and especially going into a bye week to get a victory and then not have it, to be able to have that in the uh, in the atmosphere for a couple of weeks as opposed to the grumbling over a loss uh, sure helped it was a real real tonic for everybody and i think for the for the team it really showed that uh that uh there's there's a you know the possibility of reversing or spinning out of a, a bit of a skid i think it the the degree of emotion with which the team played, the degree of physicality that they showed, I, I think we saw a, a Craig Dickinson, the Rough Riders head coach, who was as fired up, if not more fired up, than, as I've than I've ever seen him be. So that may have been a bit of a statement game for them, coaching wise too, because Craig Craig Dickinson and his staff did a did a tremendous job, and that will have to continue against that uh, highly reputable Bombers coaching staff. Yeah, because if you get swept, all of a sudden the good feelings are gone and you're five and seven. But on the flip side, now that BC lost at home to Hamilton and suddenly looks vulnerable, do you start thinking about a home playoff game? I mean, that is always the objective, and that's uh, that's where the, the bar is set a lot. Um, it's it's you know, BC. I still think is a pretty formidable team uh, with a lot of weapons and a really good defense, and they're really well coached. Uh, but that that win against BC, I think, kept alive that discussion. Had that uh, not happened, that would have been considerably tougher. The Rough Riders also uh, go to BC at the end of September, so there's the possibility of winning the season series. So if those teams are in any proximity uh, by the end of the month, that game in, in, in Vancouver is, is going to be huge. It's just it's nice to be talking about the team in the context of playoffs and, and home playoff games and, and all the, I think, the positive things that one can extract from that that BC game and uh, and that was Winnipeg coming up. I just even around the office today, people are just saying openly, like I'm looking really looking forward to this game, and uh, I, I just want I just want to see a a really exciting, fun game. And uh, the Bombers and the Rough Riders are generally uh, reliable as far as that uh, as far as producing that. And I really don't think we can oversell how much that win over BC meant, right? Because if they lose that game, which they were expected to, they were favored to lose that game. They're four and six. Calgary's three and eight. The the, the bottom of the West looks terrible. Instead, they get that, that win, and it feels like it could change things around. But again, you, you get swept by the Bombers, and then you're kind of back into that muddy mess down there. You know, and I don't think there's any, you know, I think first and foremost, I mean, when the Riders played Winnipeg earlier this year and, and the score was 45-27, but I think the feeling around the around the community was pretty good because the way the way Trevor Harris would play, the kind of potency that the Rough Riders showed on offense, I think a game like that demonstrates, look, it's not, if, if the outcome isn't what you want, it's not the end of the world. I think if you st- if you show you can stand in there and go toe-to-toe with, with Winnipeg, as was the case for most of that game in June, uh, I think that's that's a sign. I think Winnipeg is is has become the standard by which every other team is is measured. And if you're in there uh, exchanging punches with them, not literally, but uh, exchanging touchdowns with them, I, I think uh, there's some capital in that as well. Well, before I let you go, I always have to ask you about the Jets because we are less than a month away from training camp, and it looks Isn't that like amazing. <laughs> looks like the team is is what it's going to be at, at least at the moment, unless there's trades during the season. This is going to be the team that goes to training camp. Are you surprised to see Shifley and Ellibuck still here? Yeah, I mean, if you if you told me after the season that uh, that those two pieces would still be in Winnipeg, I, well, I would have I would have guessed that that they would have been gone. As well as as well as 
you know, Dubois, uh, as, well, as well as Blake Wheeler. I, I thought they would be four for four. Um, I mean, it's, it's not a bad situation to have a 42-goal scorer and a Vezina Trophy winner coming back. It's never a situation to lament. But uh, I just wonder, uh, I mean, you know, Connor Halbuck's made it pretty clear he wants to play for a winner. And uh, is, is, is that... Uh, is that uh, or a Stanley Cup contender? Is that the type of team that the Winnipeg Jets currently have right now? Uh, I think the the Dubois trade engendered some hope. It's not like they traded him for a bunch of first and second rounders. I mean, they got players who can play right now and probably added depth to their forward group. So there's there's that. The Mark Shifley thing is interesting because yeah, he's he's coming up from 42 goal season, but he also just turned 30. He's got a year left on his contract. You got to make a decision. Do you sign up uh, for five, six, seven years of Mark Shifley, and then uh, potentially face a type of uh, Blake Wheeler contractual albatross that you're going to deal with because you'd be paying, I think, for what he's done in the past. He could very well score 40 goals for the next year or two, but he's not going to be doing it at 35 or 36. That's what you've got to sign up for, and that's something I think Chevy's got to really consider as he goes down the down the, goes into the trade deadline. It'll be really interesting in March next year. So I'll get to Ed here on this. What is your level of optimism for the season? You know, I, I, have, I have a good feeling about the year. I just, I was really gloomy after the way the, the team bowed out of the playoffs last year. But uh, I love the return from Los Angeles, especially for a player who, uh, to, when it really counted, didn't deliver. To get that kind of, kind of uh, return for a player, I think, who finished the season on a very disappointed, disappointing note, I don't think the Jets were in a really negotiating with the Kings for a position of strength. Yet, I think the return that Chevy got was tremendous. So that that really buoyed my optimism. If they can get off to a good start, I think that that makes I think Connor Hellebuck more amenable to to sticking around for the long haul. If they get off to a good start, that means Mark Scheifele's playing well, and maybe that situation just resolves itself organically. Well, we'll find out about that. We'll find out more immediately about. The fate of this rivalry between the Bombers and Riders on Sunday. Rob, appreciate your time as always, and have fun at the game. You bet. Thanks so much, Christian. Great to hear from you, and go Jets. As we turn our attention to golf now and welcome in Travis Fredberg, who this past weekend participated at the Manitoba Open and made the cut, got to play the whole tournament, and he finished in a tie for 49th, and Travis joins us now. Travis, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Brainerd, Minnesota right now. You're in Brainerd, Minnesota. Uh, how did your uh, Monday qualifying go yesterday? Uh, I shot one under par. Wasn't enough, unfortunately, but it was a it was a battle not seeing the golf course and uh, running off fumes there from the week before. Yeah, I guess that's part of doing what you do is you have to go right from participating in this big tournament in your your home province to getting back to the grind and, and getting on the road. So what happens now after the Monday qualifying doesn't go well? Do you do you head back here? What what do you do? Uh, I'm lucky. My girlfriend's got a cabin out here in Brainerd, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time here, practice and play in some courses around the area and uh, – and head back home on Sunday or Monday next week. You mentioned you hadn't seen the course before. How often does that happen where you're playing at a place you've never played before? Uh, way more than I'd like it to, that's for sure. Uh, plenty of times when you show up to the Monday, just like the night before, and you got to go out there and 
just try to shoot a number on a blind course, it's tough. Is everyone in that same boat, though? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few guys. Some guys get there early if their schedule allows it to, but some of us, you don't really have a choice sometimes when you're playing the week before and you just got to buzz there that night and hope that you can pick the right lines and make some putts. All right, so let's go back to last weekend at Southwood, starting with the Thursday, Friday, go 70, 71 over the first two days. First of all, when you're on the first tee on Thursday, how did that feel to tee it up at this big event in your home province? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always, there's always a little bit of nerves for sure, especially at being in the home province. But uh, this was my fourth go around in this tournament now. So, and I've been pretty comfortable playing on the Canadian Tour now, playing quite a few events. So I was I was very comfortable. I knew my game was in a good spot, and yeah, I was I was just ready to roll. So I was excited to get that tournament going. What was it like playing with an NHLer, Morgan Barron? Uh, it was awesome. Morgan is a top-tier guy. Couldn't have had better group there to start the week with uh, Ryan McMillan and Morgan Barron there. It was it was fun. It was a treat, and we got along great and built a friendship that'll last a lifetime, I'm sure. When you're out there, obviously, you're focusing on your own game, but is part of you thinking, too, I wonder how good this hockey player actually is, and then seeing him on the course, he ended up uh, not having a great back nine, but the front nine, he was barely under or barely over par. I'll tell you, he is, he's very good. Like it was, that was definitely obviously something that's in my mind right before we tee off. It's like, you kind of don't know what, like how he's going to play or how anything's going to go down. But he, he was a great player. You know, he hit it nicely, chipped it good, putted it great. Like his scores didn't really reflect the way that he, that he actually played. He's a, he's a great player and it was a lot of fun playing with him. Yeah. A tough second day as well, finishing 86 to 22 over par, but that doesn't sound good, but then you remember he's a pro hockey player. He's not a pro golfer. That's pretty good still on a course like Southwood. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And especially just under full tournament conditions and playing by the full rules and all that good stuff. So yeah, it was impressive. He's a, he's a very talented golfer and an even better guy. I had a lot of fun playing with him. Are you a Jets fan? I am. Yep. So that must've been pretty cool for you. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, Playing with Morgan was awesome. I also I got to play with Kyle Connor back in 2019 in the first two rounds of the Manitoba Open, so it was nice. So you're used to that. Okay, so you, you the 18th hole of the second day, did you know what you needed to do to make the cut going into that hole? Uh, so I was told on, well, not told, I saw the scoreboard when I was on 16 that the cut was at minus two. And I guess that wasn't technically updated. So I was at three under at the time, made a really bad bogey there on 17, just hit a great putt and the putt didn't go down. But I thought that the cut was at minus two. So I thought I just had to make par, but in my mind, being a competitor, I just wanted to make three on that last hole and kind of shoot under par for the day. And I had no idea what was on the line and hit probably the two best shots of the week that, the best drive I hit all week by far and then just hit the approach shot to a couple feet, which made it nice and easy. I believe you knocked out a lot of people in the process by making that putt, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I did. I think it was 24 guys total that didn't get to play the weekend because of that birdie on the last. When you make the cut, what do you feel? Do you feel relief, excitement, knowing that you get to play the weekend? What goes through your mind knowing that you get to play two more rounds? Uh, Yeah, it's, 
it's kind of hard to explain, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both for sure. It's a big relief and it's just, you're excited because now there's no pressure. You can go out there and just play your game and not really worry about anything because making the cuts, the big thing, you know, that's all the players that make the cut get paid. So it's just, just a relief to know that you're at least leaving with a paycheck for sure. And then you, you, you've kept up the good level of play throughout the weekend. Overall, how would you assess, you finished three under par tied for 49, how would you assess your week at Southwood? Uh, you know, I feel like my golf game didn't really reflect the score that I shot. I, I felt like I, I played really, really good, especially that the third and the fourth day, I think I was even total for the weekend, but you know, my game was great. I was playing well. I just kind of compounded a couple of silly errors that costed me some shots, but overall I was very happy with my game and I know I'm trending in the right direction. So what does the rest of the year look like? How long is the the golf season for you? Uh, Golf season goes year round for me. I'm actually heading to Sweden next Thursday for DP world tour qualifying school. So this uh, this tournament was great for me to kind of get the competitive juices flowing and know that my game's in a good spot heading heading into Q school. So what do you have to do to make it through that? Uh, I believe it's top 21 in ties in the first stage of qualifying school, and that'll allow me to get to second stage and then on to final stage from there. So it's a grind. It's uh, going to be, I'm going to need three weeks of really good golf. So I'm hoping that it's going to be my time. Have you tried this before? Uh, yeah, I went to Paris last year and missed it by one at first stage. So oh. I know what I'm getting myself into, and I'm ready to roll this year. Do you get to actually enjoy being in France, being in Sweden, or is it just business? Uh, it's business for the first, uh, I mean, essentially until the qualifier's over, that first stage. So I'll get there five, six days before the tournament starts, to get adjusted and get my prep work done, and then I always stay... I got uh, my college roommate and I are going together. So we got, I think, three days after the fact that we'll be able to explore the city and have a little fun. That's cool. So uh, overall, how are you enjoying life as a pro golfer? It's awesome. I mean, I love it. It's been my childhood dream since I could even remember. So it's, uh, it's surreal, really. I love every second of it. I just, it doesn't really feel like a job because I love playing golf and there's nothing I'd rather do every day. What's the Lowest number you've ever scored? I'm curious. I've shot 61 multiple times at a few different golf courses. So we haven't cracked the magic number yet, but we're getting there. I mean, that's still pretty good. 61, wow. I mean, most people listening <laughs> to this would like dream of that, but they're not pro golfers. You are, so that's that's good stuff. Now, what was your home course growing up? Uh, I grew up at Selkirk Golf and Country Club. That's where I'm from. So I played Selkirk till I was about 15 years old, and then I moved over to Pine Ridge Golf Club. And uh, now I play at Pine Ridge and Selkirk. They're both very good to me, and I'm very grateful for both those places. Okay. Well, I live in Selkirk now, so I, and I've, I'm thinking about maybe getting a membership next year and really giving this whole golf thing a try. But uh, we'll see how that goes. You'd recommend it as a course? Oh, absolutely. You should. It's a great golf course. A lot of people... Uh, kind of sleep on it it's it's very good it's a challenging and good test and it's always in good shape so okay good to know travis appreciate your time tonight thanks for this best of luck with everything especially going to sweden awesome thank you guys very much well thank you very much for listening to the cjob sports show podcast if you like what you heard guess what 
You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to win.